Good morning, TLC. Hey, a little activity I want to do with you guys this morning, all right? I want you to finish the sentence or complete the phrase for me, all right? So active participation right off the bat, all right? You ready? You ready? All right. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But what about the time I was in second grade and I had a girlfriend or whatever you call that in second grade and her name was Jamie and Jamie and I were destined to be together forever until the, oh, you're laughing, what are you laughing about? Until the end of the school year and summer happened and Jamie and I, we kind of lost touch, we weren't able to connect, you know. And uh, one day in the summer, I was at the neighborhood pool, swimming laps. No, I'm just kidding. Hanging out at the neighborhood pool. I saw one of her friends. I went up to her and I said, hey, how's Jamie doing? And her friend said to me, Jamie doesn't want to be your girlfriend anymore. (laughs) And then she said, you're broken up with. Oh, those words hurt so bad. I started to question myself. What had I done? Had I not carried her books enough? Should I have bought her that cookie and lunch line that one day? But my parents told me I couldn't get extras. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or what about the time I was in high school? And I said hurtful words time and time again to one of my teammates about how short he was or how slow he was. And every time I said those words, I could tell that although he gave a fake laugh and a fake smile while everyone else laughed, I could tell they hurt more than he let on. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'd like for you guys to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning, a passage titled, Taming the Tongue. This morning, we continue our series in this letter of James, all up in your business, by God forcing me to teach on the text that a few weeks ago, in confessing my punishment as a child of having to write sentences, in particular, this passage on taming the tongue, I said I didn't want to teach on this text. I truly had no idea that I was going to have to teach on this text this morning. In fact, if you notice, we actually jumped ahead. So next week, Dr. Burge is going to be with us teaching, and he's teaching. We're going to be back in chapter 2 because of some of the stuff he has to share with us, some of the stuff he's going to bring, which is super exciting. All that to say, we jumped ahead. God truly has a sense of humor making me teach this text that I wrote again and again as a punishment, as a child writing sentences. Or maybe God just wants to bring like redemption in my life to the past trauma, to my wrist and to my mind writing this passage over and over again. Or I guess we'll see how the next 20 minute goes. Maybe he wants to just add to the trauma. I guess we'll see. All right, let's read. Uh, verses, this is James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. I want to read the verse uh, or the passage in its entirety. Follow along uh, on the screen or in your Bibles, on your phone or whatever. It says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So I want to kind of look at this passage and explore this passage bit by bit this morning and kind of uncover some of the significance of what James is saying here and how it connects to the other pieces of wisdom and and the ways that James has been up in our business so far over the last few weeks. But can I just say something before we jump in? uh, Middle school and high school students, where are you guys at this morning? That's silly. I shouldn't even ask. They're not going to raise their hands, but I know they're in here. Hey, I just want you guys to know that as I was preparing this week, you'll notice a lot of my stories are from the times I was in middle school and high school, and I just got this overwhelming sense that sometimes God gives a message to his church for specific people, and I think that this message that God wants to speak to you this morning, God actually does that, and I I want you to know that this morning, that, that I think that while this message is for everyone, it's for all of our church, I think specifically God wants to meet you guys in some cool, unique, and powerful ways. All right, so we notice in verse 1, James begins by giving a warning to teachers about the power of their words and their tongue, and that that teachers will be judged more strictly. Now, it's important to note that when James is writing, he's writing in a time where teachers were significantly important. He's writing in a time where most of society is like unlearned, illiterate people. They don't know how to read, they don't know how to write, and so the teachers who do know how to read and write have an exceptionally important job. Like this wasn't the information age where, where people could listen and they could go on Google and they could find whatever article they agree with and then look at it and cross-reference it or whatever, right? There, the scriptures weren't widely available. There was no printing press. You couldn't bound and, and print Bibles for people to follow along with the way that you can today. And even if you could, people couldn't read and write, so it really wouldn't matter. Teachers were exceptionally important in the time that James is writing. And so we don't know the specific uh, situations that James is writing to and the tensions, but clearly there's been some stuff going on. Hence James' warning here, teachers, you will be judged more strictly on the power of the tongue, the power of your words. I could spend a whole message on just this one verse, truly. And I think it's important to acknowledge that there are some of us in the room this morning who have experienced the reality of James' warning, of the power of the tongue, of the words of some of our leaders. And I think it's just important to acknowledge that. We're trying to move through the letter, move through this passage, so we have to continue. But I I do want to, to just acknowledge and admit that before we continue. The other thing I want to acknowledge before we continue is how ironic and backwards and quite difficult it is 
to try and teach and speak on how dangerous it is to teach and speak. Like, I feel like a, a guy who's like, comes up to you, he's like, yeah, man, like, base jumping, really dangerous, man. Like, this could happen, you could hit the wall, or like, your parachute, like, could have a hole in it or whatever. Like, it's really dangerous. And then, like, a few seconds later, like, grabs the parachute and is like, all right, man, like, cuckoo, kachoo, I'll see you down there. You know? <laughs> Finding Nemo reference, anybody? Yeah? <laughs> like, that's how I feel. Like, I'm teaching on how dangerous it is to teach and speak by teaching and speaking. It feels difficult, it feels ironic, it feels backwards. We all just have to admit it and acknowledge that, all right, before we continue, cool? All right, so let's, let's continue. Verse two, James answers a question that many of us have, I think. We, he says, not many of us should presume to be teachers, so we're like, wait, is this for everybody or is this just for teachers? That's a great question, the answer, yes. The answer is yes, okay? James in verse two sort of widens the scope and he says, we all stumble in many ways especially the way that we use our words. I don't think I need to camp here very long and convince us of the truth of this statement. Like some of you guys are like, yep, that's me, I stumble, especially with my words, even this morning. Like some of you guys, your spouses are like elbowing you in the ribs. Like, are you listening this morning, right? Like we all stumble in many ways, especially the way that we use our words. So after kind of establishing this, James then continues in a very like Old Testament, very biblical tradition of pointing out the power of our words, the power of the tongue. You see in Proverbs, I'm just going to rattle off a couple uh, to, to show you guys this. In Proverbs 16 verse 27, it says that on their lips, talking about evil people, it says on their lips is like a scorching fire. A scoundrel plots evil with their tongue, it says. In Psalm 73, verses 8 and 9, this is the ESV translation, it says, Their tongues strut through the earth. They set their mouths against the heavens. Uh, Loftily, they threaten oppression. They scoff and speak with malice. I love that so much. Their tongues strut through the earth. I like to imagine, like, big tongues with legs, just, like, (laughs) strutting through the earth, like thumbmen from Spy Kids or something, right? Some of you guys are like, oh gosh, that's so gross. Anyway, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 13, uh, Paul says, their throat is an open grave, talking about wicked people. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps. That's weird, asps, oh, or, or vipers, uh, is under their lips. That might be the King, J- King James translation. I'm not sure how that got on there. Um, <laughs> <they're> <laughs> vipers, uh, the poison of vipers is on their lips. This is a very biblical Old Testament tradition of the power of words, the power uh, of our tongues. James doesn't actually use any of these kind of images, though. James uses two images that were very popular in the Hellenistic world of his day. He says that, that the tongue is like a, a bit in a horse's mouth. Right, this small piece of metal that determines the speed and direction of a horse. This uh, Greek guy named Sophocles described the tongue this way. And James says that the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's small but mighty, right? The second image that, that James gives, he says, is the tongue is like a rudder of a, of a ship, right? And uh, this small rudder determines the speed and direction of the entire ship. And Aristotle described the tongue this way. James says the tongue is like a rudder. It's small but mighty. And trust me, I'm an authority on ships and rudders, okay? I own a copy of Sailing for Dummies. When I worked at a summer camp, I enlisted myself into Sailing 101, a class designed for middle school campers. While I was in college, I was part of that. And I have my boater's license in Ohio, okay? All right, so I know what a rudder and a ship, I know how it works. 
small but mighty, okay? James' point here is clear, doesn't need a lot of explaining. Although the tongue is small, although it's small, it has a massive impact on our lives and our ability to live holy and consistently with the values and the beliefs of Jesus. Although the tongue is small, it has a massive impact on our lives and our ability to live holy and consistently with the values and beliefs of Jesus. But James doesn't stop there. Like he's like hammering this home. He wants us to know how powerful the tongue is. So he says, I want to read this verse again. He says in verse six, he says, the tongue also is a fire. So he says it's a bit, then he says it's a rudder. And he's like, listen, this tongue, it's a fire. And then he says, uh, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Some of you guys are like, I don't know if I want this thing anymore, right? <laughs> this tongue is scary, right? James says it's, it's, it corrupts. It sets the course of one's life. It's set on fire by hell. Now, this passage in particular, this verse that we just read again, it's kind of difficult for us to understand for a whole lot of reasons. One of the main reasons, I think, is just the language feels a, a little bit foreign, all right? So to help kind of wrap our heads around what James is saying here about the tongue, I want to read you guys Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this Uh, of this verse in the message. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this. He paraphrases this verse uh, this way. He says, survey says, maybe. I don't have it in my notes, so uh, maybe maybe it's not in there. No? Okay, that's all right. He says something like, no, it's definitely, it's definitely there. Uh, Anyway, our words, uh, let's see, by by our speech, uh, we can throw mud on a reputation. There we go. There it is. All right. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. This is what James is saying here. James is saying that that the tongue is a powerful thing. That, That our tongue, like the bit in a horse's mouth like a rudder of a small ship can, can set the course of one's life. It can, it can corrupt. It can destroy. It can be set on fire by hell itself. And some of you guys are like, wait, did he say hell? We're like, what is James talking about here? I want to set a little bit of context here for what James is describing, what James is trying to communicate when he says that the tongue is like a fire that can be set on fire by hell itself. So the word that James uses here to describe hell is this, uh, is this word, uh, jaina. Everybody say jaina. It's Greek, and, and honestly, the pronunciation's kind of hard, and I probably just butchered it, and so did you, but that's all right, okay? So it's this Greek word that James is using that actually is an idea. It's actually a real place that uh, was in the Old Testament that uh, then developed into this word jaina, and, it, and it's a, a valley called hinam. It's a valley called Hinnom, and so J, J is like a prefix in Greek for like earth. So it's like the earth of Hinnom, which is just a way of saying like Jehina, the valley that is Hinnom, this place in the earth that is Hinnom. Now, this valley, this valley of Hinnom was a, a place in just southwest of Jerusalem, this valley southwest of Jerusalem. It was, at one point, it was used as like a garbage dump. So there was a fire constantly going, and people would just throw their trash into there, and it was just this garbage dump, Right? And then eventually it was a place where pagan gods were worshipped in this valley. And then ultimately, in, in its history, the Israelites were slaughtered. There were Israelites that were slaughtered there by the Babylonians. Jeremiah called this valley the Valley of Slaughter. 
which is a terrible name for, if you're a valley, you don't want to be called the valley of slaughter, right? Like that's, that's not good, the valley of slaughter. This valley of Hinnom became so closely associated with death and destruction and, and uh, hell and evil, the sources of evil, fire, hell itself. And so because of that, there became this word, Jaina, which was used to describe Hell, the sources of evil, fire, hell itself, right? So Jesus actually used this word 11 times. We only see the word jena 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of them are James, or sorry, Jesus, and only one of them is in the New Testament, and it's the one we just read. It's the, the word that James uses to describe hell. David Nystrom, he's a scholar commentating on this passage. I love what he says. He says that, James picks up on the thought and tradition of Jesus where Jehina is symbolic for the force of Satan. In other words, in other words, James is saying that the tongue is a powerful thing that the world of evil can use to set the course of one's life on fire, to destroy things. James is using strong language because he wants to communicate the severity of the tongue, the power of our words. And then James kind of moves into kind of the last portion of of the passage here, uh, verses 9 through 12. So he's established, he says, this is how powerful the tongue is. It's so powerful, it can be used by the world of evil to set the course of one's life on fire. This tongue is powerful, and then he points out, he closes by pointing out this contradiction that is really kind of the point of the whole thing. So if you tuned out, I'd encourage you to tune back in here for verses 9 through 12. I want to read these again. James says this in verses 9 through 12. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This should not be. Now, praise and cursing, we're like, what what is that exactly? So in the the minds of the ancient world, to, to lift up a blessing or to lift up a praise to God was like, the best thing that could come out of your mouth, right? It's like the best thing that could come out of your mouth. To curse someone was like the worst thing that could come out of your mouth. So like best thing, worst thing. James is saying, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. How is it possible that the best thing that could come out of your mouth and the worst thing that could come out of your mouth are coming out of the same mouth? This is the inconsistency that that James is trying to point out. See, we've been saying over and over again that that James is writing a letter to a church in his day and to our church today because it's a, a living, active word. James is writing a letter to combat our tendency to be divided, to be like double minded, to live like this double life where we say one thing and we do another. Right? James is, is after this. He's obsessed with this idea of wholeness, this Greek word teleos. It appears seven times in the letter, a way of James saying, hey, pay attention here. This is a big deal. James is obsessed with this idea of wholeness, of completion, of living a life that is consistent with the values and the beliefs of Jesus. And so all of James' instructions are aimed at this idea of wholeness. So James says, persevere amidst trials, right? Ask God for wisdom. Do this so you can be whole. 
James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers, right? The mirror challenge. Be doers, not just hearers, so that you can live consistently. James says, love without favorites, so that your life becomes slowly integrated into the the life of Jesus and his way of living. And in this instruction here that we're reading this morning, James says, those words that are coming out of your mouth, that tongue of yours, although it's small, has a massive impact on your ability to live holy and consistently with the values and the beliefs and the life of Jesus. And to kind of illustrate his point here, to point out the ridiculousness of this contradiction, James uses two illustrations. One of the images is uh, impossible. It's impossible. He says, can, it's a, a, can a, a grapevine bear figs or a fig tree, fig tree bear olives? No. It's impossible. The question's rhetorical, right? And if you read James' letter, almost all of these kind of illustrations that he's giving, these questions that he's asking are super obvious. They're rhetorical. They don't need a response. But the second image that James offers, he says, can a, can a, uh, about a fresh water and a salt water, can a water spring forth from the same spring? This second image is really interesting. It's not as straightforward as the the other image. Not as straightforward as most of the questions that James asks. Here's what I mean. We can't underestimate the significance of a spring in the dry Mediterranean Palestine, right? Fresh water springs would pour forth with water that would give and sustain life and life to many. Salt water springs were undrinkable and unusable. However, there were some springs that would pour forth both fresh water and salt water at different times, sometimes fresh, sometimes salt. These springs were not to be used. They were not to be trusted. By offering this second image and asking this question, the point that James is making isn't that this spring is impossible. It's just that this spring is unusable, like a life whose mouth speaks praise one moment only to curse someone made in God's image in the next. (gasps) all up in our business, right? As I was reflecting on the text this week, I just sensed the Spirit of God asking me a question. What kind of water is flowing from the spring of your life? Is it fresh water? Is it salt water? Is it both? My mind was drawn to one of of the more difficult moments in my life. I was in high school, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> high school's hard, but that's, the, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was in high school, and uh, a friend of mine, I'm not going to say his name, uh, not that he would be watching this, but I just don't want you guys to look him up on Facebook, so um, I'm not going to say his name, but one of my friends, uh, good friends growing up, uh, we, we played basketball together, ran cross country and track, we were good friends, good teammates, all that kind of stuff. We had always kind of operated in slightly different friend circles. One, uh, a lot of my friends came from uh, my church and the youth ministry that I was a part of. And he, my, this buddy of mine, he, he wasn't a Christian. A lot of his friends didn't go to church or anything like that. And every now and again, I would try and work like my faith and Jesus into the conversation without like totally pushing him away and freaking him out, right? And I remember one time I, I got the courage to invite him to come to church with me, to invite him to come to my youth group. And to my surprise, he said yes. He said yes. And I, I was so excited. I was, 
I was so pumped. I'll never forget the, the feeling that I had when his car like pulled into the, to the parking lot. I saw him walking in. I was so excited when he came. And then I was so excited when he came again. And when he came again. And when he came again. And he just kept coming. I was like, yo, God's doing something in this, in this guy's life. One week we were sitting in the car after he had been coming to church and kind of engaging for a while. And I was just asking how he was doing, how he was processing stuff. And, and he told me that he was like really compelled by Jesus and all this Jesus stuff and really wanting to dive in. And I was like so pumped, right? And then nothing. Like totally just disengaged. Stopped coming to youth group, stopped coming to church, like just straight ghosted. And I would still see him all the time. I'd see him at practice, I'd see him in the hallways. He was still there, but things were, things were weird, things were awkward. I didn't know what had happened. And so finally, after a few weeks of awkwardness, I mustered up the courage to ask what had happened. Like, why had, why had he just stopped coming to church? Why had he totally disengaged? And the words that came out of his mouth next were some of the hardest words I've heard in my life. He explained that the same week that he, had, he and I had been talking about Jesus in church and how he was ready to dive in, a few days later, he and I were sitting together at a football game while I said some really unkind words about a kid sitting a few rows in front of me. This kid who we had never gotten along, I made fun of him, he made fun of me, the circle of life kept going, right? And my friend explained that when he heard those words come out of my mouth, after just a few days before that, hearing the words about Jesus and faith and all this stuff come out of my mouth, he explained that he couldn't make sense of the two. That the hypocrisy of all of that had made him not want to be a Christian. These are some of the hardest words I've heard in my life. Now I feel years later, I feel peace about it. I've sensed God's redemption in my life. But that's like the end of the story as far as I know. And the reason these words were so hard for me to hear was because my friend was telling me something that I had written on my sentences at home time and time again that James has said, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This should not be. And this week I was reminded that today I have to receive these words from James the same way that I did in my friend's car years ago. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This should not be. We have to receive these words this morning. That out of the same mouth come compassion and mercy for our friends and our co-workers. And cruelty and heartlessness towards people with less money than you. The poor and the homeless. This should not be. Out of the same mouth comes an outpouring of love and support for your child or your spouse in one moment, only to moments later be quick-tempered and shortness with that same child or with your spouse. This should not be. 
Out of the same mouth comes love and passion for the concerns of your students or your patients. And hatred or something very similar called indifference about the concerns of people who look different than you or were born in a different country than you. Out of the same mouth comes, the battle belongs to you, God, on a Sunday morning, and i got to do this all by myself, and I'm all alone on a Monday morning. This should not be. Out of the same mouth comes, hey, you should come to church with me, and you should check out Jesus, and I love Jesus, and oh yeah, the party Friday night? For sure I can go. Jesus doesn't care how I live. This should not be. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be be what kind of water is flowing from the spring of your life is it fresh water is it salt water is it both James says if you want to know the answer look no further than the words coming out of your mouth in the gospel of Matthew Matthew chapter 12 Jesus is walking around making people mad because that's what Jesus does, it seems. And in Matthew chapter 12, it's the Sabbath. And Jesus is doing some things to really ruffle the feathers of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. He starts by picking and eating some grain on the Sabbath, which was kind of a no-no, according to some people. And then Jesus continued. He started teaching. He started healing some people. And at this point in time in the text, it says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, decided they leave and they start to plot to kill this man. They're plotting how to kill Jesus because of what he's doing on the Sabbath, the rules that he's breaking. Now, Jesus smartly decides he's going to peace out of here, right? So he leaves and the crowd, it says, started to follow him. And so Jesus kept teaching and Jesus kept healing. It says that Jesus even healed a demon-possessed man. And at that point in the story, the Pharisees come back, the religious leaders come back, and they start to yell and scream that Jesus is doing all of this in the name of Beelzebul. And you're like, Beelzebul, what? Beelzebul was another name for Satan. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, they come to Jesus, he's doing all this stuff, and they start to yell and scream that Jesus is doing all this healing, all this teaching, all this, all this stuff Jesus is doing by the power and in the name of Satan, the forces of evil in this world. Intense, right? And do you know how Jesus responds to this? He responds by talking about the power of words. He compares the Pharisees, to a brood of vipers. And then he says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What Jesus is saying is, if your heart is full of anger, out of the mouth will speak Venomous words you didn't even know were there about the person's driving habits next to you. That, that if your heart is full of jealousy, out of the mouth will speak gossip about who that person has been hanging out with or what that person did. That if your heart is full of pride, out of the mouth will come, I'm sorry that what I said made you feel that way, but I'm not really sorry, and here's why you shouldn't feel that way. 
That if your heart is full of hatred, out of the mouth will come accusations and passive-aggressive comments towards people that are really just an effort to sort of protect yourself from your own deepest insecurities. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus said it. James knew it. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This morning I want to ask you, what is your heart full of? What's the water that's flowing from the spring of your life? Is it fresh water? Is it salt water? Or is it both? We're going to move into a time of of worship and response. And I want to invite you to continue to pray and think and reflect and talk with God about this question. God, what is the water flowing from the spring of my life? And as we do that, I want you to know something. I want to point out something that... I didn't get the chance to point out earlier in verse 8 something that James says. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. He doesn't say no person. He says no human being can tame the tongue. See, James is leaving the door open for the possibility that the Spirit of God might come and bring transformation and renewal and redemption and be able to tame not just our tongue, but also our heart. So we're going to do something this morning as we worship and as we respond. We're actually going to take part in communion. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus sat with his closest friends. and He broke a piece of bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a glass of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. And when we do this, when we take part of of this bread and of this juice, we are reminded of our need for Jesus of our desperate need for Jesus who came, lived, died, was buried, resurrected for the, and lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve so that we may have life and life to the full so that the Spirit of God may come and bring transformation to our heart and to our tongue. And so as we worship and as we respond this morning, as we think about this question, what kind of water is flowing from the spring of our life, I would invite you at any point as you feel led to come forward and to grab the elements. We have them uh, in a cup or in a basket. You can take those, take them back to your seat and allow this time of communion, this time of worship for you to just converse with God. God, what is the kind of water that's flowing from the spring of my life? And to confess our desperate, desperate need of him to come and to bring fresh water, not just for our tongue, but also for our heart, all right? This is not TLC's table. This is the king's table. So all who call him king are welcome. Let's worship and respond this morning.